We got something massive going on on it right now. It's called the Onnit Six, and it's a full body transformative workout you can do in the comfort of your own home in just six weeks. If you've watched videos on your phone or computer and you have enough space to stretch, then you're fully equipped with a home gym compatible with the Onnit Six. You don't need to spend extra money on costly equipment, personal trainers, or some ridiculous new gadget that's going to end up collecting dust in your basement. Bottom line is, we've covered all the bases with this program. Everything from in-home yoga to in-home workouts to the nutrition, motivation, and supplementation protocols. Aubrey Marcus contributed with a motivational. Liv Langdon, our expert on diet and nutrition, has helped out with cooking and different recipes. And yours truly, Kyle Kingsbury, has taken a deeper dive into what type of nutrition you can get based on your goals. Bottom line is, we've covered every possible base we can think of when it comes to this on at six program. And even if you're really good at lifting weights and running and doing all the things, it's still important to retrace your steps and go back to the basics with a body weight program. You can accomplish a lot in six weeks. Go to onnit.com slash S-I-X, onnit.com slash six, onnit six. Welcome to the Human Optimization Hour with Kyle Kingsbury, presented by Onnit. Our guest today is John Baker. John is a friend of mine. He's become a close friend of mine over the years. Uh, we met not long after I went on the Joe Rogan experience a, f- a couple years ago. Um, just a fantastic dude. He played professional baseball for 15 years, played on a few different teams, finishing off with the Chicago Cubs. He works now with the Cubs, doing a number of cool things. And uh, we take a deep dive into how he got to where he is today and all the wonderful things that he's learned along the way. It's tr- truly one of the best podcasts we've ever done. John has a wealth of knowledge in many areas, and we really break down stress and a lot of other cool things in this podcast, how we can manage that, how we can find inner peace, and what are the things that make us stronger inside and out. I know you guys are going to dig this one. Thanks for listening. It is the Human Optimization Hour with Kyle Kingsbury with my good friend, John Baker. How are you doing, man? I'm doing phenomenal, man. I've been Ever since I got to Honor, I wanted to have you out for this. I shouldn't watch that. I'm getting... Uh, <laughs> fast vitamin iv right now we were just talking about how the last time i watched the needle go into my arm i I completely passed out and started hearing classical music being played and it was beautiful but uh, point being i don't need to watch i'm gonna just receive the medicine and be good to go we had a it was whitney miller's aubrey's uh, fiance's birthday on saturday so we went fairly hard and then um my wife was out of town so when she got home uh she hadn't seen bear yet my son our son and uh so we're we're you know in the bedroom trying to do our thing and of course he wakes up and comes in like normal and when he sees mom it fucking completely wakes him up <laughs> so <laughs> this kid would not go to sleep and so we were reading him books at 4 30 a.m like on no sleep finally he falls asleep again at 5 30 a.m and i slept with him from 5 30 to 8 a.m for two and a half hours so that was your weekend. that was the grind through the weekend and then uh yesterday got to take a 30 minute meditation to kind of reset which i want to dive into you with yeah let's do that and then um now of course this this vitamin iv is quite essential and necessary to keep the immune system up and make sure that i got the energy to provide a dope podcast for our listeners well i'll tell you what i need it because the you know coming from i come from the professional baseball world and we have just a shit schedule most of the time. You know, it's a lot of night games. Um, 
you look at our team, our, our major, I work for the Chicago Cubs and our, our major league team last night played 14 innings on Sunday night baseball. They didn't get out of, they didn't get out of St. Louis until probably about three 30 in the morning, fly to fly back to Chicago, play a game tonight. And even our schedule is kind of support staff and system. Now I was in Knoxville, Tennessee for three days. Um, and you know, with my obsession with getting better at jujitsu, I have to find a place to train. So it's like the game goes late, gets done at midnight. I'm up at like 7 a.m. driving like 30 miles to go train with Samuel Braga in, uh, in at the Gracie Baja School down there, and then do that for a couple of days. And then I'm up at 5 a.m. on an airplane, flying to a different city, get in, try to get into a routine, see a night game, get in late, don't even know what time zone it is most of the time. I'm calling home, going like, "Hey, what time is it for you guys there?" Oh shit, it's 4:30 in the morning. Sorry, it was 7:30. I'm on my second flight already. So I also, my point here is I also could use this IV. I could also use these vitamins. I need them. I think we all need them. Yeah. And it's the most bioavailable form. I mean, let me, let me just say this right now. Cause I'm sure people are fucking, I can, I can see people shaking their head, but we can't just get it from good organic food. And, and yes. Yeah. Your, your baseline, there's no supplement on this planet that will fix a shitty diet or lack of sleep. That said, because of our soil, like I was telling you about the interview I just did with Paul Check round two, um, our soil's fucked through monocropping and, and spraying herbicides and pesticides. It lacks nutrient density, and we're not getting the same value from our plants that we used to, period. So can we uptake that a little bit and, and optimize our bodies, especially if we're athletes or we're putting ourselves through a not a natural grind? You know, like if, yeah, if you live in the African savannah or wherever the fuck where you just have this chill ass day where you hunt and you forage and that's it probably a little bit more in tune with natural circadian rhythms you're going to bed on time you're not changing you know flight flight uh flight patterns and all that where you get time zone changes you have no technology to deal with you have yeah. no technology to deal with i think that the what i've got so my the background on me like my playing career started in 2002 ended in 2015 and when my play, so I'm I'm of the last generation that didn't have like the internet in college. I'm the I'm the I'm the line. The next one after that, it's the internet shows up, and we have made all of these things uh, easier, more efficient, faster, and better through all this amazing technology that the human brain has come up with. It's it's I mean it's truly amazing the stuff that we can do now. Like I was walking just yesterday, walking away from dinner, FaceTiming my kids before they went to bed. Uh, and then thinking about go back a generation to my parents when my dad was in professional baseball and he's having to write letters to my mom. Handwritten letters. letters. Handwritten letters. Couldn't make, a, couldn't make a long distance phone call. But with all of these technological advances, man, we have messed up a lot of the stuff that like our, the way our body interacts with the world. We've screwed a lot of it up, you know, from anytime your body is in an airplane moving faster uh, than it should be there is some sort of cost. There is some sort of effect. Anytime you don't get more than, you know, five hours of sleep, there is a, there is a real cost to, to the stuff that we do. And so much of it involves technology. You think about um, the blue light on your phone or the blue light on the television, you know, keeping you awake and suppressing the melatonin in, in, in your brain. Um, and you think, I think about how many people don't even, don't even know that something like that exists have no have no impetus to go out and get glasses to make sure that they sleep and how can we make food cheaper and easier and more available for everybody we just make it shittier we water it down we screw mm -hmm. up the soil we ruin the stuff that we've we ruin the natural kind of state of the earth um in the in the uh with the idea that it's going to be expedient and easier for us to deal with something right now and we just have no foresight for the future yeah and then then the the 
the the draw in for all these companies is well this is how we'll solve world hunger but now we're, we're in a state where we're overfed and undernourished and so i forget what was the term that max lugavere used if, if obese on the outside and <laughs> metabolically obese, metabolically obese. <laughs> physically skinny but metabolically obese that's for people that look the part like like a lot of these uh health and wellness and bikini models and shit like that that just you know if it fits your macros where they're yeah no it's not healthy and shit it's like doesn't work it's not healthy it's source everything is source dependent for me i mean like we have kids so the moment we had our first kid we're like okay do you know what to feed the kids i don't know what to feed kids do you know what to feed no my, my wife megan i don't know what to feed well let's figure it out so you start doing your own research finally. And, and that's and it's the other flip side of the coin, right? Is that we have all this information that we can access at the tip of our finger. We have the answer to every question on your phone. Just ask Google. You ask Google, you find the answer to the question. You can find all the information. And now it gets a little bit tougher now that we're kind of, sometimes we choke on all the information that's out there because we have access to so much that we never had before. And if ignorance is bliss, then what's knowing the answer to everything? That's likely frustration and, and, and anxiety and depression um, at the end of it when you really see how the world works. But the answers are out there. And what we found when we started looking was like exactly what you're saying is that where does your food come from? It's a one fundamental question. Where does it come from? Where we live now in Arizona, there's a farm down the street and there's restaurants at the farm and the food comes from that place. And it's all former dairy farms. So the soil is good where we live. So we, that's where we go and buy our food. Um, and that's what we eat. And, and that's why I think that you know, like you're saying, can you get it from food? In the beginning, you're saying, can you get this stuff from food? Maybe. If you're super conscious and super careful and super mindful of where you're getting it, what you're putting in your mouth and how long you're doing it. But we all know, man, that's not easy. That's not easy. It's not an easy thing to do for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's, there's certainly, there's healthy foods that are healthy, but they're not going to be nutrient dense. I don't know how many people are cramming down grass fed, grass finished liver every week you know what i'm saying to top off on it's like, iron. <laughs> well, it's like metal there is there so is tough. a really i don't know if you guys have tried this but um and we have no affiliation with these guys but u.s wellness meats sells a liverwurst that's pre-cooked it's 15 it's 20 beef liver 15 kidneys 15 heart and 50 of beef trimming and it's fucking the highest grade meat you can get. And it comes in a little log that's frozen, a one pound log. It's, I think it's 11 bucks. It's the best deal. Oh. And you can cut that and throw it on crackers. Not that we, neither one of us do that, eating keto. Yeah, no crackers. But, but um, for the kids, like I throw that in a scrambled eggs for bear. And at fucking two years old, he'll eat it. Like he loves it. We've made tacos in the past when we're th having a cheat meal with that meat. And it's incredible. And that you are topped off for the week on vitamin A and a ton yeah. of different really important micronutrients it's, it's interesting with kids man both of my kids will just eat the hell out of some chicken liver they'll eat it they'll just cook it it, just, it makes no sense to me it's something that um you know when you think about like the awful meats like that uh there's stuff that we have to like be like okay like buck up okay <laughs> buck up we're gonna cook a calf liver and slice it up and just put as much stuff as we'll put as much cinnamon or something on it as possible to try to get that get that iron taste out of it but it's things that you have to do. I didn't know you can get in a sausage. That's a that's that's the next step for me. Yeah, it's awesome. And you don't you don't really taste too much of the iron. But the pe when people are talking about the iron, it's like, well, I get it from cacao, or I get it from this, I get it from that. And the truth is, like a lot of like half the population, my wife and I included, from a genetic standpoint, cannot take a lot of plant based vitamins and convert those into usable forms. So like looking at, uh, you know, like a lot of vegans will say like, oh, you can get 
all the omega-3s you need from chia and flax. Well, that's ALA, and it has to be converted into DHA and EPA, which our brains need. But I cannot, and my wife cannot, convert ALA into EPA and DHA. So we have to get that from animal sources. Have you ever tried to eat vegan? Mm, I've done like six-day vegan fasts. It is a form of fasting, like keto. Keto is a form of fasting with carbohydrates. And I think for detoxing, I mean, back in the day when juicing was big, I would would do like a 14-day juice cleanse, things like that. I think it works for detox purposes, but extended periods of time across the board, with exception of maybe five people on earth, you know, it's a real issue. Well, the average is what, like nine years and people quit. Um, I I did it. I read the China study years ago when it came out and I'm like, oh, this, you know, of course you find out later that it's not, the the science wasn't great, but I read the China study. I didn't know how to decipher good research or bad research at the time. I was still playing professional baseball and I spent an off season of almost two months eating uh not eating vegan and i felt horrible i mean horrible just completely horrible all the time like low energy tired didn't want to work out which is something i always loved doing i love training for the sport i love training still um i can't go more than a day or so without doing some sort of like rigorous physical exercise um but that was the one like one time in my life that little that little window that i was in where I would wake up and go like, I don't want to, I don't want to go do this only time ever. And, and that's the only thing that was different was not having, not getting, not getting that, not getting that food from animals. Yeah. And it's not just protein. Like that's the point I'm getting towards is like, you get all these other factors, omega-3 fatty acids, heme iron, which is huge in red meat and especially in liver and, and organ meat. That's incredibly bioavailable. And you're topped off on that for a week or two you know, from one serving, like you're not going to get that from plants. And I'm not saying that it's, I'm not a carnivore diet guy. It's important to have all the things. We're fucking omnivores for a reason, right? Flat teeth and sharp teeth. There are, there are a couple people on this planet, Darren Olean and Rich Roll that I think can pull off a vegan diet. Well, they're probably high methylators and they can convert well from plants. Um, But they are exceptions to the rule. They're not, that's not the standard, you know? But let's let's we've we've fucking digressed here for a minute. <laughs> let's let's there's there are some topics I want to cover with okay. you. Let's let's go down the baseball rabbit hole. All when right. you start playing, you know, obviously it was your lifelong passion and, and where are you now with it, you know, with, so I, with the Cubs. So I'll start at the end. Um I work for the Chicago Cubs now, uh, in our mental skills department, which means that I kind of have a, like a Swiss Army knife of roles uh, for our organization. It could be uh, doing research and investigating kind of maybe different optimization techniques uh, for our major league players. Um, sometimes I'm a complaint sponge for 25 year old hundred millionaires. Uh, and then sometimes I'm, I'm dealing with, you know, in baseball, it's really sad and, and it hasn't been covered, but there's been a lot of problems, obviously in Puerto Rico um, and in Venezuela as well. And we have a very big Latin American population on our, in our organization. And so a lot of times it's dealing with the, you know, I've had on the same day, I've had a guy tell me that it was the worst day of his life because his Ferrari got a flat tire on the way to the field and he had to call somebody to get the car. And the same day, talked to another kid who his parents still don't have power in Puerto Rico and he can't get a hold of him. He hasn't talked to him in eight months, you know? So we have all sorts of different kind of psychological concerns, plus, uh, you know, dealing with guys playing under pressure and performing under pressure and letting the, letting the practice express itself with a bunch of people watching, which is, I think, something that anybody can relate to. Um, but I started playing um, as a kid. I loved playing baseball. Well, I think my dad really loved, playing, loved me playing baseball. He was a baseball player himself, played baseball at college baseball at Stanford. Uh, I was a student first kid, wasn't the best athlete um, as a kid. In fact, had no scholarship offers to go to college. I walked on um, at University of California, Berkeley, 
uh, where I had wanted to go to school because hippie. it's a great school. Yeah, oh yeah, super hippie. <laughs> well, I had two Stanford, two Stanford parents, two Stanford Republican parents, and what they produced was a hippie, uh, <laughs> a hippie Berkeley kid. Somehow, that's 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 how it worked out. I, I I listened to them. I listened to the other side, and I said, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna try my own. I'm gonna take my own path here. Um, but played at Berkeley was a walk on. Uh, my my sophomore year of college. I won the starting job at catcher about halfway through the season. My junior year of college, I won the batting title in the conference and was drafted in the fourth round by the A's. Uh, I thought I was going to be in the big leagues in like three years because you know I'd played so well and I thought I'd had it figured out. Anytime you have it, anytime you think you have it figured out, um, that's a good time to stop and say you're wrong. Especially when you're 21 years old, you don't have shit figured out. I still don't have shit figured out. I'm almost I'm 37, you know. So um, I. Uh, started playing professional baseball, had some really good seasons, and then hit a snag with a vision issue, kind of delayed my career, and I didn't get called up to the major leagues until I was 27. So I six years in the minor leagues before I got to, to reach my goal, and that was six years of like real grind, like making $9,000 a year playing baseball, having to get a full-time job in the offseason, having to pay for it. We stupidly bought a house in 2005, my wife and I, that was just a um, you know, at the time, that's your dream. You know, you want to own a home. We don't know. I did again. Like I said, I didn't know shit. I didn't know anything then. I still don't. But we buy this house. We get ourselves in a little bit of debt. And the next thing I know, I'm 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 working full time. I mean, I, I can remember having times and the happiest, honestly, in my baseball career that I ever was was the year before I got called up. I was working in the off season and I had no time to work out for myself. I mean, my job was. 6.30 in the morning, I was getting to the to the school where I was working. I was working until 3.30, and then I was doing baseball lessons until dark. And then I was coming home, and we would eat a little bit of food. I would go to bed, wake up at 3 in the morning, drive up to the gym where I could lift. Uh, my buddy, who was a bodybuilder, who was a trainer at the gym, would open the gym for us, and we would work out at this club sport renaissance with nobody in it. Uh, and I, I, you know um, the boxing trainer, uh, Ross... Anime, yeah. yeah, he's a fucking magician on the jump rope. So, so Ross, um, this is like 2007. So I was buying all of Ross's conditioning books, mm -hmm. and I can remember being outside. I had to go get. I got glow in the dark chalk, and I went outside and I marked off like 200 meters, 400 meters, 600 meters, 800 meters, and I would do my I would do my Ross running program outside in the dark, uh, listening to the Rocky. Um, montage music <laughs> yes dun, 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 you know right and i'd get out there and i'd run and i and i looking back on my prof my professional sports career like those are the moments that stand out the most it's like me at 4 30 in the morning when nobody else is out there me doing my sprinting like that is what gave me kind of the mental um edge i felt like because I would I would go out and play with these guys. And I'd be like, these guys are all better athletes than me. But fuck, nobody is willing. Nobody was willing to do. Nobody else was willing to do that. And sure enough, halfway through that next season, I was in the major leagues. And I played every day for two years. And then I had a massive elbow surgery. I had to get my elbow reconstructed. I tore my tore my UCL ligament. I had what's called Tommy John surgery, which is an important name in baseball. Um, I was a starting player for the Florida Marlins. Everything was going well. I was looking like. I felt like I was going to make a ton of money playing baseball and, and everything was going smoothly. And then one day I woke up, I couldn't put my arm on a table. Um, I had, I had broken my elbow swinging a bat. I didn't know fractured my olecranon. It grew back calcified in the joint gave made too much space. I couldn't straighten my arm, couldn't throw, had to have surgery, had to have my nerve moved because I took a bunch of Darvis sets so that I could play because I'm an mm. idiot, you know, mm -hmm. had to have my nerve moved, had to have my bone, my elbow kind of rebroken and shaved down and then the ligament replaced. And I, lost my starting job and had to come back as a backup. Uh, and so 
I went from a kind of a lifelong minor league grinder to an everyday everyday player that that had with a bright future for two years to having to work my way back as a as a backup player. Um, and and I, I, I think I extended my career as far as I possibly could. And my last year playing was 2015. When I stopped playing, uh, I got a phone call from Theo Epstein, who's the, the president of the Chicago Cubs, um, saying, "Hey, I hope you I hope you keep playing, but if you can't get a job, like we would love to hire you." Uh, I'm like, "Well, what's my role going to be?" And he's like, "I don't know. We just come in and kind of just in, in investigate every element of this business, see where you fit in." Um, and you know, the job of a catcher is one of a kind of a servant to you know you have a pitcher right the pitcher you call all the pitches you're watching the whole defense um you're like a coach on the field and you're telling the pitcher what to do but to do that for for him to execute he needs to be convicted and for him to be convicted he has to know that i care about him and he has to know that he has to trust me and so one of the skills that i developed over 15 years was baseball players trust me just i just it's the life i lived and it's the people that i know so um, i take those skills that I developed, how to get to know people quickly, how to become fast friends, how to learn how to say goodbye fast when they leave, and how to make an impact on people when you don't have a lot of time with them. Um, and that's that's a big part of my job now is that I go uh, mainly to our major league team, our AAA team, and sometimes to our AA team, so the higher end of our organization, and just provide like baseball human resources and support, whether, like I said, whether it be research and ear to talk to, or lately, um, you know, being trained in mindfulness-based attention training, guiding and leading meditations and we can even get into i'd love to get into the kind of the program that we have for these guys we start at 16 and we, we do this blend of mindfulness uh meditation practice some general sports psychology but man mainly it's mindfulness stoicism and eastern philosophy is what we really really talk about um and it's not about the stuff that happens on the field it's about how you live your life away from the field like that's where we want your conscious thought going we want your conscious thought going to how you're talking to your your wife or your girlfriend or your family or your kids you know we're playing stickball for money um it's not that important uh you're not going to be happy if you make money you're not going to be happy if you push the push that happiness over the horizon to the end and and it's another element of what we deal with all the time is guys yeah. thinking if then this if then philosophy which is just total bullshit yeah i'll be happy when you yeah. know and it's always out in front of you so that carrot just keeps moving ahead and never and you never reach it the, the the guys that i know um my friends that have made the most money uh or guys that i work with that, that make the most money they're generally the most unhappy people and so i look at that and i go well that's not the answer you know that's not the answer the answer is kind of focusing back on figuring out what makes you happy, studying yourself, learning, learning, learning the things that you actually want to do or the things that you want to learn about. Um, it's really hard when, you know, we force people to make a decision on how they're going to live their life when they're 18 years old. Like, Hey, you're 18, pick your major, pick yeah. your major. What do you want to do? You want to be what a do you doctor? Be when you grow up? <laughs> what? I don't know. Like I'm so lucky to have found, have had professional sports and being able to go back to school. Like I graduated from college last year and being able to go back to school as more of an adult, not fully formed yet in my opinion, but as more of an adult, I got to choose the things that I was really interested in. And so my two college experiences were completely different. One being I was just checking the boxes and fulfilling the requirements. And then the other one being, I'm like going through the course catalog being like, oh, drugs in society? Hell yes, I'm taking this course, you know? Ooh, uh, we had like racial relations in sports. Yes, that's fan that's fascinating for me. And so like I've taken all these classes at at school, and all of them are things that I want to learn about and learning about this interdisciplinary interdisciplinary approach to solving problems. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. So my my job is great. 
I enjoy going around and, and, and seeing all these guys and just on this constant curve of learning all the time. What can I learn new today? Uh, and man, that's makes me happy. I, I love that about you. When we first met, you'd hit me up after I was on the Rogan experience and I came out to your house with my wife and uh, we were talking keto and of course went down the rabbit hole on plant medicines and a, a number of other things. But your fascination and thirst for knowledge, like I was, I was looking in a mirror. Ah. And that's fucking rad because very few people have that. Most people want the quick fix. Like, tell me what I'm supposed to do and I'll do it. I mean, I trained people throughout my UFC career because I was making good money and needed to make supplemental income. And that seems to be the case across the board for a lot of people is that they don't want to make it their passion. They want to focus on this other thing they like or playing video games or jerking off or fill in the blank instead of actually really trying to take the deep dive into these practices that can change their life. So I want you to unpack a couple of things for me. I want okay. you to unpack what you're doing now with the mindfulness practice. And first, just explain for people, what is mindfulness meditation? How does that differ from some of the other practices? Because there's thousands of forms and they all work in their own way. So uh, <clears throat> the best definition that I've heard about for mindfulness is by John Kabat-Zinn. Um, and that is mindfulness is paying attention on purpose in a particular way in the present moment and without judgment, which there's a lot to... There's, there's a lot to unpack out of that. Mindfulness meditation as a practice is to set an intention. Um, inevitably, you're going to be distracted because the human mind says 800 to 1,000 words a minute or something. Um, that voice never turns off. People think a lot of times that, oh, you know, we're going to meditate. I'm going to clear my mind. Sorry. It's not. That's, this is, mindfulness, we said non-judgmentally. Mindfulness is about recognition of, of, of where the thinking is going. So set an intention. Uh, inevitably you will be distracted. The, the key, the, the, the deadlift for the brain or the, or the concentration muscle is the recognition of distraction and the reorientation of attention back. And it's incredibly important right now, we we're talking a little bit earlier about technology, but the human attention span has gone down. I think Generation Z there says eight seconds. Um, it's, like a, it's like a goldfish or a hummingbird. Um, and it's because we have, we have the, we have the, we want the answer right away. We have the answer right away. We don't have to think about it any further than that. We don't have to do any investigation or any kind of thorough reading to find the concept. We don't have to drive to the library anymore, read the book, get to page 200, and then, and then have the answer. We don't have that anymore. We have the phone. So because of that, the human attention span is shortened. Um, social skills have degraded. Eye contact has gone down. Um, all of these things improve with mindfulness meditation practice, the, so, the, school, the social skills loop. If I become more self-aware of who I am, I have a better opportunity to regulate my emotions. I can self-regulation, right? When I can, when I can self-regulate, I can now think about how you're feeling, right? And I can weigh how this is how I feel. I wonder how he feels. What am I doing there? I'm, I'm expressing empathy. I'm thinking about how you're, how you're thinking. And that's the, that's the social skills loop that leads to like emotional intelligence, me understanding myself, thinking about you and comparing. Not comparing to you on the keeping up with the Joneses level, but comparing to you on how you feel about what, what, whatever just happened um, or how you feel about this interaction, thinking about how, how it makes you feel. Uh, that increases the social skills loop. And so you have, you have that benefit coming off of it. But back to the definition of mindfulness, paying attention on purpose in a particular way in the present moment and without judgment. Um, it's very simple. Right. I'm going to say, I would say like in a meditation, um, you, I give people two options a lot of things to focus on. 
The first one being you can follow your breath as it enters into your nose and feeling the sensations all the way down to the bottom of your stomach and you can follow it back out and that becomes the object of your attention and every time your mind wanders away and it will because it always does uh, the goal is just to recognize it and non-judgmentally bring it back uh, not go like oh shit i'm there i go again damn yeah, it i so shouldn't many, do that so many people beat themselves up for that and and that feeling of i'm fucking this up i'm doing it wrong that will create a fight or flight response that is if you go down the rabbit hole of judging yourself on how well you're doing that is the exact opposite of what you're trying to accomplish to catch it in the moment and just to be like oh fuck i did it again okay and then go back to the breath that that's the practice and that strengthens the muscle you're talking about that's the hardest part for people to understand is without judgment the the, the like the last little kind of icing on that definition without judgment it's the hardest one for people to understand because I, 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 and I can say it's the hardest one for me to do too, because I will, I'll, you know, I practice every day and I'll sit down and I'll go into my practice and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll start planning and I'll go, damn it, I'm planning again. And I'm like, oh man, I just had it. I just, I'm, I'm making a judgment. And then I judge myself for making, for making a judgment. judgment. <laughs> it just never, it just, if you, if you let it go, the, you know, the human brain's incredible. If you just let it go, it'll keep, it'll keep spiraling. You know, all we are is as, as people, all we are, our perspective comes from our perception of the world. And if, if we, if we can't, and this is what this practice is, right? It's, it's a modulation of attention is what you're working on. You are consciously directing your attention to where you want to do it. How does that carry over in the moment? It carries over in the moment because if I'm on the baseball field or if I'm on the jujitsu mat, right? And I start thinking about all these things that are not going to be helpful for me. I can recognize that. Um, and I can bring it back to what needs to happen right now, uh, which is the only real time. And we can get really like metaphysical and philosophical about tomorrow, you know, tomorrow, like Bo Burnham, the comedian says, tomorrow's a relative term, doesn't exist. Uh, and so much of our lives is about, at least nowadays and how we're raised in the United States, so much of our lives is about preparing for something that hasn't happened that might not happen in the future. Um, and when we start to focus too far away from where we are right now, that's the, that's the path to depression and rumination in the past and fear and anxiety and fight or flight in the future. And it's easy how it's easy to get so worked up to so get so worked up about something that's so unlikely to happen. Uh, and in sports, especially being in the present moment, you know, backing up on that definition, being in the present moment, we have a saying with the Cubs, it's be present, not perfect. Like what we want you to be is you, right? I need you to understand yourself. I need you to understand when you're out on the field, when you make, when you're making mistakes, when you're struggling, I don't need to understand. I don't need to understand why, like mechanically or technically, it's happening. I just need to understand that. I need you to understand how you feel about it in the moment and what your focus is. Can you can you control that? Can you modulate it so that you can point your attention on something beneficial? And that applies on the macro scale to life. What are you looking at? Because that's what I mean. The, the old saying. I love the saying: "Garbage in, garbage out." Right? If you're looking at garbage, that's your worldview. It's your worldview. If you're not if you're not willing to look inside and you hit on it earlier and this really gives you the space to do it but it's scary as hell to take a look inward to really assess yourself um and and that's where at least for me in the in the past that's where plant medicine has come in because <laughs> you hear people that or i've done it in the past eat too much cannabis eat too much on purpose 
and sit there. You know what's going to find? You know what you're going to think about? You're going to think about your kids dying, your wife dying, your parents dying, yourself dying. You're going to go down, or at least for me, it always pops up. Just what are the worst possible things that I can think about? And then I have to sit there consciously with my brain on, on fire. I have to sit there consciously and come to terms with that stuff. And, and so many, so many people in our society, I feel like, and so many people in professional sports, they want to shove it down and act tough. Like I, I don't need to, I don't need to see that. I don't need to face that. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Because that's therapy. That's therapy. Looking at the most difficult possible circumstances as objectively as possible, accepting how you feel. We're talking about mindfulness. If you're sad, you're sad. There's no reason to, to, to stop it. Like you, we don't, the mind is like the weather, right? Today it's, it's sunny and beautiful and clear. Other days you wake up and the mind is cloudy and it's dark and it's sad. It's not our responsibility to go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to change this by, by saying no. No, it's our responsibility to recognize it. Oh, that's how I feel today. Well, I'm feeling sad. What are the things that makes me happy to do? Well, for me, it's like exercise and jujitsu. Yeah. And why am I feeling sad, right? We constantly distract ourselves. And you talk about the garbage in, garbage out, like fucking millions of people will sit down and watch reality TV, which is pure trash. Like you're not learning anything that is a depiction of what a producer wants you to see in the life of someone fake. Yeah. Not, there's nothing real about that at all. That's not what happens when the cameras are off and is fucking scripted half the time. And we're drawn to that because it distracts us from being in our own bodies. It distracts us from seeing what's going on in our life. Let me follow someone else. It's not like a fucking inspirational movie or reading a good no. book. It has nothing to do with that, right? And I think that, I mean, just getting into the psychedelics. Did you hear Michael Pollan on uh, Tim Ferriss' podcast recently? No. He crushed it. He has a fucking new book coming out on plant medicines. And um, he was talking about the more research that they're doing now stateside, you know, there comes this, this, um, this issue with it being looked at as a panacea. Like it does cure so many different things, right? But it only becomes so many different things by definition, because in medical literature, we have to categorize each thing as an individual ailment mm. for the prescription medication model. But if we look at those things, that a lot of the times when we go through a plant medicine ceremony, we find that it's all on one continuum, right? The positive and the negative exists all in one plane. Polarity is not really, it doesn't really exist. You can't have fat without thin. You can't have tall without short. You can't have good without bad. They're all on the same plane. And um, he was talking about when you look at depression, that is regret from the past. And when you look at anxiety, that is regret from the future. And neither one of those exists now. All that ever exists is right now. Yeah, it's not real. Yeah. It's, and, and your experience was real. And, but it isn't real. It really, it's, he's exactly right. Um, you know, and you get into, you get, it gets really philosophical like that when you start talking about time, um, where we are right now compared to where we're going. You know, we have, there are some things that tell us that we have to plan. But I think that it's in those, anytime, anytime you can find something, and you're talking about a panacea, the panacea is the search within, right? That's that, you, you, and a lot of times I tell our players too, like they'll ask me a question about how they're supposed to feel or how they're supposed to act. And what I tell people all the time, I'm like, you already know the answer to that question. We already know. We already know, like, we have a very good sense, I think, of if, if we're doing something wrong or we're doing something right. We have a we have a we have a very good sense of that, but what's really funny to me is at least in my own self too because I do this shit all the time. Um, I will know I'm doing something wrong, 
and regret it as, as it's happening, but I'll continue to do it. And then like three days later, I'll do it again. What is that? <laughs> what is that? And that's why the, the investigation needs to go inside. Like it's, yes, you are your perception, um, but you know, get real deep into Gulag Archipelago or um, uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. You, know, you, you get into those things and you recognize that, okay, no matter how horrible we think the, the outside situation is, we always have, we always have our mind and our mind is safe if we build it to be so. If we build it to be so, the only way that we build it to be so is by taking risks and by putting ourselves maybe out of our mind or going outside to come back inside and find out. Because I, I, again, I believe that we have, we have the answers to most of the questions of how we're supposed to act or what's gonna make us happy inside of us. But like you said, we've taken so much time to just get as distracted as possible, you know, to watch this and that and this or listen to this or or go do this thing you know uh, whether it be for I mean for years we've been numbing our numbing our social awkwardness with alcohol for example you know like that's not a real that's not a real perception of the world it's a, it's a skewed one where you've you've taken down some walls and windows like i i prefer to go the other way i want i want more intensity i want i want a, i want a greater view of myself i don't want to be numb to anything yeah. And I mean, I think there's a time and a place for alcohol, but when we lean on anything as a crutch, that becomes a real issue. And if you live for the weekend where you grind through a shitty job 40, 50 hours a week, just so you can get fucked up on Friday and Saturday night and do a little day drinking, watching the games, that's no way to fucking live. <laughs> that shit will catch up with you. On top of that, you're never, you're never really comfortable because you're doing this thing you don't like during the week and then you're drowning yourself on the weekend, still not being present. Still, it's an alcohol is an anti-psychedelic. It drops awareness. It doesn't increase awareness, yeah, right? No. So you'll never really figure out what is making me tick. Why do I feel the way that I feel? What's going on inside without taking a look through practices like meditation or doing a deeper dive, you know, getting in a float tank yeah. or doing plant medicines. So we have a float tank um, at Wrigley Field in the locker room. Because we recognize with our guys that this is what it's this is exactly what it's all about. It's not about it's not about drinking eight beers with the boys afterwards anymore. That's 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 the past. That's gone. It's about doing exactly what you're talking about. Is how how deep of the dive can we can we possibly take? Um, as an advocate of all of this stuff, uh, floating. You know, it's tough. We we, t we were talking before the podcast about what we can and can't talk about. It's tough because um, you know we have stuff like, for example, we have a, a young player who is not protected by the major league union that, you know, he tested positive for cannabis and he got like in 50 game suspension without pay. Fuck. And I see this stuff happen to these kids that I care about, you know, and uh, I'm like, where is the, where in major, major league baseball, where is, where is the research behind your point to suspend this kid? Where is it? I don't see it anywhere. Um, I don't understand like, all of all of like the, the plant medicine stuff especially you know there's this there's this stigma in i think the older generations that it's hippie medicine sex cult like uh weird stuff there's no um i'm not even medicine just drugs you know drug blanket statements just drugs there's no there's no willingness to like go read jack herrera's book or or go check out doblin and maps or look at or go go look at the go look at the research or go talk to people or read Erwin about the about the about pe other people's experiences nobody is willing to look at the information and as soon as people do 
they go like, well, it's BS. Or, you know, they want to they want to discount it because of, of how they've been raised. Uh, and it's just, it's really, that's one of the sad things for me to see all the time is people's, you know, like you, I want to know. I just want to know. That's it. I don't, I don't, I don't, I want to know. And I want, I want to give people, especially the guys that I work with, um, I want to give them the best possible information. And so as a result, you have to read scientific research. You read scientific research and you start to understand how to read a scientific study and, and, and reading the abstract and then figuring out, okay, this is, this is really real. Look how many people they actually tested. It's 3000 people. It's not 50 or something, you know? And, and, and you, and you look at those things, what you find is that a lot of the things that you might believe or that you were told when you were growing up are just simply unsupported by any sort of evidence and research. Uh, whereas other things that people told you for years, well, that's horrible. You'll go crazy if you take LSD. Um, Look no further than fucking reefer madness. Yeah, right. You it's know? amazing. Which was a large scare. It was a scare tactic about black guys and Mexican guys fucking white women. Yeah. You know, like you're going to smoke this reefer and, and <laughs> all the white women will be raped. It was like, what? Yeah, that you're Mexican like, that Mexican tobacco. Uh-huh. The Mexican tobacco, marijuana. Um, was it William Randolph Hearst? Mm-hmm. Just ruined it for everybody. Now paper's worse because of that guy. Because they're not making it out of hemp. They're making it out of, out of trees. Mm-hmm. How'd that work out for the environment? <laughs> Cut all the damn trees down. Thanks a lot. Um, no, it's all, it's, all, it's all interrelated. And it's all, it's all for people on the pursuit of looking inside. You know, I think um, beyond looking inside too, it's, it's for our guys, I think when you, when you do take that, that deep look in, it provides freedom. You know, like Jocko Willing talks a lot about discipline as freedom, right? Discipline's freedom. I couldn't agree more. But also the discipline to face objectively face what you're actually doing. That's a, that's the toughest part. It's not doing the burpees. It's recognizing that you need to do them, right? It's really recognizing that this is something that's important for me and I'm going to feel good. Nobody ever goes and works out and walks out of the gym or walks out of the field from running sprints or walks out of, nobody ever walks off the mat and goes like, shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Yeah. You always have that. Fun. And you know, there's the cascade effect of a shift in neurochemistry, whether that's endorphins or just the bar being raised with dopamine and, and adrenaline, whatever the case is, like you feel fucking good. That changes the way you operate through the day. And obviously there's there's under underdoing the medicine of, of training and movement and there's overdoing that. And yeah. a lot of people overdo it. But when you find the happy me- medium, that's, that's what fucking has carryover in all the things. Dive into for me the benefits of putting yourself in in as we deemed uncomfortable situations and and what that looks like well the you know, we're talking about acceptance um you know i hate the term i hate the term be comfortable being uncomfortable because the definition of uncomfortable is literally not comfortable so it can't they can't both exist in the same time right but accepting uh being uncomfortable because it is the discomfort that leads to growth and you know, you have the lobster story, right? The lobster's got to shed its shell and it hurts and then it gets better, gets bigger. Sure. Uh, it's like the old parables, right? Um, but I'll, I'll use an example. We had a pitcher. Actually, he pitched last night here. Pitched really well. Um, but I saw him when I, they were in Nashville earlier in the season and um, he was working on some stuff in the bullpen and he was trying to throw the ball higher, which is not comfortable for him at all. And 22-year-old kid, young, drafted at high school, um, He's pitching, he's pitching, he's pitching. And afterwards he comes over to me and he's like, you know, I'm like, how'd that go? And he's like, it was tough. It was really hard. He goes, but one thing I've recognized from my, my kind of small career, he said, is that when things are, are difficult for me to do, but I kind of get them a little bit right sometimes, 
It gives me this hope. And I understand that this is the discomfort that leads to my improvement. And so he's like, how did it go? I didn't execute everything I wanted to execute, but man, that was awesome because I know that that just made me better. I know it made me better. I, I'm, I'm tapping into that feeling. And I think that that's the same thing for, for most people. Like if you want to challenge yourself, the reason to do it is because as human beings, and this, is, this goes back evolutionarily, but we need to be scared. We have this, we have this meter. We have like stress. We look at stress so often it's, it's in the context of negative stress. We, not true. Like we, we have these sensors built in to like be able to dive under the table if a tiger jumps through the window, you know? But when we don't give that sensor any like reps, it, it will just, we will supplant that with psychological stress and fear and anxiety and depression. We will, we will do that when we don't, we don't take the, I call it like, you have to select it. So learning to be comfortable being uncomfortable or just accepting the discomfort is you actually taking control uh, and, and choosing where you're going to get your stress from. Do I want to get it from, um, I don't know, do I, do I want to get it from being outraged about something that Ricky Gervais said on social media? Or, or do I want to get my stress from something that I select that I know is positive and healthy, whether it be going outside and it could just be going outside and walking your dog for an hour, you know? But getting away from, getting away from the, the internal psychological stress by providing yourself an opportunity, the best opportunities are the ones where you're super uncomfortable and you don't feel like you want to do it. I, I tell people all the time, look for something that's equal parts interesting and scary and try it and see how you feel afterwards. And you can go through a bunch of different things. It could be, I'm going to jump off, uh, I'm going to jump out of an airplane or something as small as I'm going to do jujitsu or I'm going to go to kickboxing or I'm going to do something that I don't, I'm uncomfortable with. That, that kind of freaks me out. It might even be horseback riding, but I'm going to go try it, see how it makes me feel afterwards. And then if it makes me feel the way I want to feel, then I'm going to put that into my routine. That's going to be something that I do. That's how I found, I found jujitsu as a hole from, there was a big hole in baseball. I competed for so long, 162 times a year for 15 years. That's a lot of competition. That's more than half the year where I'm competing all the time. I lose that. I'm home for like two and a half months trying to beat everybody in Monopoly. Like I didn't lose a, <laughs> I didn't lose a tic-tac-toe game to my three-year-old at all. I'm like, you don't know how to do it? Here, that's three in a row. Dad wins again. Dad wins again. Dad wins again. <laughs> he wants to play charades. I win again. I win again. My wife was like, you need to find something. And I'm like, well, all right. I had trained, I had trained in the past. I'd always been an MMA fan. Um, and I had trained uh, in kickboxing in 2006 at Caesar Gracie's gym. Uh, in one off season, I took a, I accepted a smoker until my organization found out about it that I was playing for. And they're like, no, you can't do a kickboxing fight. And I'm like, I'm from the suburbs. I've never been punched. I need to see what it feels like. I yeah. need to know what happens. Like I have, I understand that there's something here. It might've been I, that I read Sam Sheridan's book, I think. Mm. And like his whole story is, you know, leaving Yale or wherever he was and going to Thailand and doing a kickboxing what, what fight. What was the name of that book? Fighters. Fight, fighter's Heart. Heart. That's right. I remember my dad got me that when I was first getting in the UFC. <laughs> It's a but great it's, book. It's a great book. And The Fighter's Mind is a great book too. He goes and interviews, you know, Dan Gable and Randy Couture and uh, Andre Ward and all these great, all these great fighters about their process and their routine and how they think about life and sports and what motivates them and what drives them. And it's fantastic to read. But I read that book and I'm like, I need, of course, I'm just, I need to do a kickboxing fight. I'm a pussy. I don't know what to do. You know, like I need to, I need to go put myself out there and try it. Um, and so I was kickboxing a bunch. And then like a couple times a week, I would do a little jujitsu. And the stand-up part, because I'm used to things flying at my face as a catcher, was I picked it up really fast. Mm. Like that was that was easier. Once I could keep my eyes open when somebody was punching me, oh, this is good. We're playing, we're gonna play hand-eye coordination game. I'm good at this game. 
might not be the fastest or the strongest, but I'm good at, at moving my head and watching things go right by because I'm catching stuff going 100 miles an hour all the time. Um, but the jujitsu part, I was just like, I, I got in, I, I realized first day, I'll never forget, I got off that mat and I'm like, that is like, I was in the ocean and I can barely tread water. I barely tread water. I'm getting strangled and thrown on my head. You know, I was 235 pounds at the time and fit and didn't matter. I'm getting tapped by people 50 pounds lighter than me, you know, that have been, they've been training for 10 years and they're legit at jujitsu. So they know what to do. And so I kind of knew when I was done playing that I was going to pursue that. And my wife was like, get out of the house, please. And go do something. Walked into this jujitsu gym, 35 years old, got strangled by some 17 year olds and walked out like, that's it. Driving home. I was so happy. Never <laughs> been happier to get my ass kicked in my life. Uh, and it still makes me happy. It still makes me happy doing it. But again, it's because just what we're talking about, like the acceptance of discomfort, there's just such an opportunity for growth. And when you challenge yourself like that, it builds your self-confidence and not that confidence is the best model to, to follow. It's truthfully not self-compassion is like the ability. It's Eric Barker barking up the wrong tree, UCLA research. They talk, he talks about self-compassion, like the, the Buddhist concept of self-compassion, being able to forgive yourself when you screw up and understand that's okay to fail is more important than being confident going in. That's what the research shows. Um, but that's the place for it. The mat for me is the place for is the, is the place that I get that. Baseball used to do it. You know, you seventy percent of the time in baseball, or thirty percent of the time, if you're successful, you're the best in the world. So that means the best in the world experience like a seventy percent failure rate offensively. That's a lot of outs to make. That's a lot of times that you practiced all day doing something that you did it wrong, and thirty percent's great. It's great. So. You know, I've, I'm used to a life of failure and there's no better place to find more failure than go roll with a bunch of black belts. Have fun. You just, I just fail the whole time. Yeah. And incredibly humbling, you know, like few things in life have the ability to humble you regularly, you know, and you look at other martial arts like point karate and a lot of what the traditional martial arts have become for money, pay to play for belts, that kind of shit. And you're never really tested. You have no idea to gauge yourself. Like, how good am I at this or how can I actually, <clears throat> excuse me, can I actually defend myself? And I think it's such a big deal, especially for men who go through this world. I was speaking at Paleo Effects on the death of the American male. And, and uh, you know, Harvey had mentioned like, that's a, there's no winning in this conversation. So make sure you play at PC. And it ended up being a great conversation. But, um, you know, when, when, I, when I see an issue with a lot of people out there that are that are focused on power in other areas power plays in in their relationships in their office in the the acquisition of things it has to do with with not feeling safe in the world you know and, and uh jocko's talked about this a number of other people have brought this up that have gotten into jujitsu because it, there's this this factor of i know i'm not the best at this but I know I can handle myself, mm -hmm. right? And then, and then the fact that you're tested so regularly in jujitsu daily, you know, daily. you have your warm up, you've got your drilling, you're learning something brand new. It's it's novel, you know. There's there's always something new, and then you get to practice jujitsu, and in that practice, you're going to get tapped. And if you don't tap quickly, you're going to get hurt. And I speak from experience because I'm fucking gimping it right now. <laughs> uh oh, I had a guy that was probably. 40 pounds weighs 40 pounds less than me put me in a side knee bar and it didn't hurt and i didn't want to tap to him now uh, that's like a heel hook like i should have fucking tapped immediately i should have yelled tap and not even fucking tapped him with my hand just to get out of that right 
And so now I pay the consequence, right? So then that's incredibly humbling too, to know it's a, it's a white belt move to not tap early. It's a white belt, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there's a time and a place to try to work your way out of an arm bar or any, any position, you know, in competition. But outside of that, there's no reason to, you tap and you can roll again, you tap and you get to come back. And you know, every black belt that's been in the game, they've tapped thousands of times. Yeah. You know? And I see it. I see it with the black belts at our gym. They tap each other all the time and they get tapped out sometimes. Every once in a while, you'll see, like, I've had it where, you know, randomly I find myself in the, in the perfect position with a black belt. And like, I'm sorry, but I outweigh you by 50 pounds and I got your arm. I'll rip it off. Like, I got a hold of your lower body and I got you in a Kimura and I outweigh you by 50 pounds. You're going to have to tap right? I'm going to have to tap. I tap, I have to tap all the time. And I think what you're talking about with defending submissions, I mean, I'm only a couple stripes into a blue belt, right? But I do know that with defending submissions, if you get, if you get locked in a battle of, I'm going to hold my arm, we're going to play the spider web position. I'm going to hold my arm for the last four minutes of the round because you got there really quickly. What did I learn? Mm -hmm. Other than I can hold my own arm for four minutes, you know, I I I feel just like crank right at that bicep. I feel like uh, it's better off just <laughs> just okay, just go maybe try a hitchhiker. Okay, no, he got it. I right, tap tap tap. Okay, let's start over again. There's yeah. no, and it's it's the beautiful thing about that sport, the os and the and the fist bump afterwards, and then you go on and you leave the mat, and there is no like the hierarchy is already established. There's belts, so there's already this hierarchy, but there's nobody at least in my limited experience now of three years of training, there's nobody that, that walks around like, oh, I tapped that guy in practice or I did that to that guy. Like nobody ever says that. Yeah. Whereas in baseball- good or, gyms, most, most good gyms, most good places. I'm sure there's a couple that stand out in any one place, but- Of course. Those, those guys either get weeded out of the equation and don't come back or they learn, right? And they are humbled and then they have the respect. And I look at guys- you're probably the same way but everywhere along the way you know like i look at guys now with with lower belts and if they're tapping me it's like fuck yeah dude you're coming up man i see this, i see people making jumps you know and there's times in jujitsu where you see this this it's not linear you know this progression like there's times where people kind of plateau and they're doing the same game over and over again and something clicks for them and they have this accelerated learning curve where all of a sudden they're fucking way better than they used to be and that's awesome to see that you know yeah, it is awesome i get to i get to mess around with um one of the guys at our gym you probably know him jesse forbes mm -hmm. so i didn't realize he's training there <laughs> jesse yeah. this is a nutcase training there yeah jesse <laughs> likes to like just like hold me on the ground by my neck like a you know like <laughs> like a dog i mean he's probably jesse's heavier than i am now he's probably 225 firefighter now in 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 phoenix but you know he fought in the ufc for a long time he's a black belt um but it's it's the it's he the, was on ultimate fighter seven right with cb dalloway yeah he was on the ultimate he was fighter. The guy that got uh kicked off for going going crazy at the strip club at the end did jesse do that i think that was him i'm not gonna ask him about it i don't want to <laughs> i might be i might be messing up the name here it might be no no you're thinking about jesse taylor jesse taylor that's right jesse taylor okay. who was back he was back yeah, yeah he got kicked right. off because he he kicked the he kicked the car I, okay that's right yeah, yeah forbes was was he an asu guy i think so okay he was an asu he was in Tempe, okay yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah i've trained with him with bader and the guys out there yeah it's a good have you done any training oh they're 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 they closed power they're gonna open that back up soon they're opening it back up no we have like our um josh rodriguez and uh Gustavo, I know that they Gustavo both Gustavo was one of my first guys to train me in the gi. That's amazing. Way back in the day, right when I got out of college. Yeah, he's amazing. He, I met him, uh, I did, um, I think it was Pan Am's as a blue belt. 
and my coach wasn't there and he saw me and ran over to fucking coach me in the match and nice. i hadn't trained with him in like two years Gustav was the man he's an amazing human so talking about being humble and jujitsu, I got a, here's a great Gustavo Dante story. This October, we had like our team kind of party and they did a couple black belt promotions and Gustavo stood up and I'm, it's something I've never seen and I'll never see it in baseball or the other sports, but he came up and he said, Hey guys, I want to talk to you. Um, I am not going to be doing any of the lower belt promotions anymore. He's like, the only ones I'm going to do are black belt. And he goes, the reason is I've been pursuing these other business interests outside of jujitsu and I haven't been studying the game as much as i used to when i was coaching all the time and i don't feel comfortable teaching this game because the game's evolving and i understand that it's passing me by um so your instructors now are going to be Bo and josh and orlando and marcio when they're here and you guys are going to see me here but i'm taking the place of a student again so i'll promote people to black belt but i'm not doing i'm not the coach anymore here the gym the gym has my name but i need to come back in and learn as a student again and i looked at that moment this guy has been they what's four stripes on his black belt is how many years that's 10 or 12 years as a black belt and he had the 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 foresight and the understanding to recognize that he was going somewhere else and even though he's won you know world championships and stuff uh turned around and and re-entered the class as a student so sometimes we'll go to well he actually just recently dislocated his elbow he was training for uh training takedowns to go compete in abu dhabi at that thing that they just did mm. and um he he got he got taken down didn't break fall tried to stay up on a single leg elbow went the wrong way in class damn that's the guy whose name is on the that's the guy whose name is on the front of the thing and he's showing up with the other black belt as a as a student in class and i, I saw that and that really cemented to me that i'm in the right place when the guy whose name on it is willing to humble himself like this and put himself at the bottom that's truly i think the spirit of martial arts and and we get it there which is awesome fuck yeah let's dive let's dive a little deeper into the plant medicines all right <laughs> if you're willing I'm, I'm willing yeah um what have been some of your more most transformative experiences and and you know favorite medicines favorite experiences and elaborate a little bit on on what you've gained from those i think that psilocybin um for me has been the most kind of formative uh because i i notice a um a recurring theme um where i will have like big emotional outpouring in the midst of it, of the experience. Uh, and a lot of times what I like to do, um, you know, if I'm gonna do it, when I do it now, uh, I'll go by myself. Sometimes I'll go in the dark um, and I'll put some music on, I'll just lay on my bed. And Terrence McKenna style. Just wait to see what happens. Yeah. Um, and most of the time it, it's, it's different. Than, there's no anxiety for me uh, that comes out of that. There's like, a, you know, I'll be, you get the energy to kind of flow through you and i'll get some shakes um and i'll get some visuals but overwhelmingly after that stuff happens i get this like uh profound sense of like love happiness so much so that most of the time i end up crying um and i end up in it in a, in a in a good way uh, i'm not a um daily person um i'm a more of like a set a time aside once a month to have my own like private time, I consider it my ther my therapy. I consider it something very um, special and uh, powerful. And over, I, I really try to treat it with as much respect as possible, um, because anytime you're messing with your brain, um, you know there's a, there's a potential for something to go a little a little sideways. Um, and so for me, it's all about look again, like I've been saying all the time, but it's all about looking inside and like what comes up and, and being mindful of the things that I'm thinking about when I'm, when I'm there, because your mind is always there. 
Um, I had a, last time I had an interesting moment where I was in a hotel room and I walked in and I looked in the mirror and I saw the lines on this, on the sides of my eyes and they started to just kind of go over like my face and then throughout my whole body. And I had this, um, you know, like the memento mori, um, stoic moment where I realized I was going to die and it made me happy. And I, I can't explain why, um, why that, why, why I can't, I have no, there is no why for that, you know, but I was just overwhelmingly joyful about, about experiencing and truly feeling like I understood my own mortality. And I don't get to that place. I don't, I can't, I can't get there just, um, with nothing, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I imagine you could, if you, if you know, if you were an MBSR type meditator where it was an hour a day for 10 consecutive weeks, I imagine maybe you could get somewhere like that, but just having that assist, um, you know, that, that assist, that transport, uh, kind of more deeply into your own brain, you know, like the signals get crossed a little bit and it's like in crossing the signals, we see clearer, mm-hmm. we see clearer to how we actually feel. Um, so I think that is, that is for me, the, like the approach level one for everybody. Um, and it doesn't have to be, I know, I know people that, that microdose psilocybin all the time to kind of combat their depression. And I've seen that highly successful. Um, but that's, that's, that's for me, the, the way to go. And I always think about it around Christmas time too, especially, you know, you think about the, the rituals of those people up in the mountains and the, and the guy, the guy picking the Amanita muscaria from underneath the fir tree and, and reindeers getting high and going through that whole thing. So like, that's a time like that kind of pairing that stuff with like some Christmas lights yeah. uh, and, and a family experience, um, is it's just, it's like a love enhancer for me. Uh, and that's, that's for me the way, like I said, I want to go introspective, positive affirmative loving and caring um and that's a good conduit for me yeah brother i think it it re it allows me to reintegrate so many of the teachings of the east you know like just to embody that to 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 feel gratitude with every fiber of my being to know why you walk the path with discipline you know like when that gets cemented in and you feel that that's fucking lasting you know, it doesn't need to be an all the time experience because there's this deep sense of inner peace and wellness that lasts for a very long time if you approach it correctly with intention and reverence for the medicine. Intention, I think, is is so important. You know, this isn't like, and I think it's also what people think negatively about this kind of stuff is that the the context that most people I think think about plant medicine is sixteen year olds buy mushrooms and they eat them because they're just being, they, there's no like, there's no thought, you know, like, oh, I freaked out. I can't do that stuff. It made me freak out. You know, I saw this and it was crazy. That's, there's no intention there. There's the intention can't be, I'm going to do this because I want to get fucked up. Like that's, I've never thought about that. Like anything with, with anything um, besides maybe being younger and drinking, you know, like that's when we're drinking to get, like if you're drinking natural ice, you're drinking to get like, like <laughs> natty ice. You're drinking to get fucked. Like that's the, you're drinking to get drunk. That's what you're doing. You're not, you're not doing it for any other reason. It doesn't taste good. It doesn't make you feel good. You're doing it for that one thing. You're doing it to inebriate yourself. I don't look at these ones. Um, I don't look at the plant medicine like that at all. Like that's essential. I mean, I really do believe, um, you know, I read footprints of the gods and I really do believe that, that there was something to the evolution of the human brain. Um, that I can't explain it. I'm not a scientist that has to do something with psilocybin. And I, and I read the research on what it does with depression. Uh, and I look at it and I go, yeah, like you said earlier, is this, is this stuff a panacea? It, it, it might possibly be, but so is, uh, 
maintaining a healthy lifestyle, feeding yourself with food that comes from the right source, uh, challenging yourself daily to provide yourself the right stress. And then you add this stuff on top of it. It's the finisher, I think, for, for the path to happiness. When we look at, and you said gratitude, but the way that we designed our mental skills program for our minor league organization this year is that we went through modules every week. We used to do meetings where you'd come in and we'd teach you about the growth mindset for 35 minutes. And they'd be like, hey, you got to have the growth mindset. Well, we realized with this day and age, you know, five to 10 minute little conversations, way more impactful than 35 minute classroom style meetings. So we broke it up into modules. The first module we talked about was control. Um, you know, the, the oldest adage and cliche in the book is control the things you can control. Don't worry about the rest. But sure, if that's so important, have you ever written that down? Anybody? Have you ever written that down? So that's what we had to do. We had a fuck it list. These are all the things I think about that I have no control over that bother me. And when I, when I get to this, when I get to the, when I get to this place, revert back to the top. Fuck this. It's not going to help me at all. Like I'm making myself upset and yes, I'm going to think about it, but do I have practice kind of reverting back? Yes, I do. Because we're going to pair that with mindfulness meditation. So mm. you make a list of control. Um, and then you do some mindfulness meditation every you do, do a daily practice. And then we're going to give you a pl- practical life exercise. You're going to, you're going to eat one meal mindful eating exercise where you're going to think about every bite where it came from and what it tastes like and what you're doing. That's called, that's learning how to be in the moment. Um, the second week we move to gratitude. So control is, this is what I can and can't control, right? Gratitude is, this is what is already great. And if you want to be happy, you have to learn how to put, point your attention at that stuff. Because we could all think negative. Like I said it earlier, we all think about, I'm going to die and this is sad. And we could all think about that. But can I consciously, you know, we have practiced modulating that attention. Can I consciously point it on the things that are great? And you think about gratitude, do mindfulness meditation with gratitude at the beginning at the end wake up every day for a week and write down three things you're really happy about um and then set some intentions and that's what we start to get to that second week and the third week we get to visualization not just visualization of you know mirror neurons and me seeing myself do the things that i want to do through my own eyes but what is my aim like this is what i can do this is what i love this is what makes me happy what's my aim this is where i want to go um and when we talk about uh, visualization and exercises, we write those things down. Like take five minutes a morning to write out what your life is like. Um, there's a fantastic program. I know a lot of people don't like Jordan Peterson, um, I guess. I don't know. I like him. I think we got I, some fans on the show. I, I mean, yeah, I, a lot I, of people are turned off by for various reasons. Yeah, they, they don't like people just don't like their ideas being challenged, you know, and they, so it's very easy to just try to label something alt-right, racist, sexist, whatever, misogynist. I don't think that he's coming from that place. And I read his book, um, but fantastic program, man. Um, future authoring. I did it when it came out. That's uh, dope. I totally want to do that. What did you start with? Did future. you do the past? Did you future. do the future? I did the future authoring. Okay. Um, and it was, I, I did it right after I stopped playing. And it was fantastic because I had to write out what I wanted, where I want to be. Like, like, hey, where do you see yourself in 30 years? I never thought like that before. I was always in the moment. I was playing sports. So, you know, you're on top of a hill, you're looking down at the, at your life, like, where are you? And so you write out all these things that you think you want to do, and then you get challenged and you have to write for five minutes about like, are you doing this because you want to do it? Or are you doing this because you think that society wants you to do this? You have to really consider those things because you're forced to write for a certain amount of time, three minutes, five minutes, keep typing, keep going. And eventually it'll start to come out. And then at the end of it, you get a whole you get a whole printout of all your stuff. They, they send it back out. And so you can go back and reference it. 
but it's a fantastic exercise um, to find out what your aim actually is. And so for our guys, we have, what is your aim? Where do you want to be? Where do you see yourself? Let's start thinking a little bit about where you want to go. But, and at the same time, we work on exercises, uh, visualization exercises. We're going to work on seeing ourselves do what we want to do technically from our own eyes and, and before competition, because we know with mirror neurons, if you do two reps in your mind, it's almost the same as doing one rep physically. Right? So we can get there if we're hurt or whatever, we can develop these techniques. So we go control, gratitude, visualization. Then we get to the fourth week of spring training and we talk about being present. So this is what I can and can't do. Uh, this is the things that make me happy and what I do the best. This is where I wanna go. We get to being present. This is me doing it in the moment. This is me doing it right now. This is me focusing on my process. So we start writing down process-oriented goals. Um, we, we do a body scan meditation uh, that week for him because if I can connect to the physical body, the body doesn't know the past or the future. The body only knows right now. So anytime I can connect with how I feel, I'm more completely in this moment right now. Um, my mind is right. Um, and then the final thing that we do is competition and competition. The interesting thing about competition, competition is just getting out of the way. It's getting out of the way. It's putting myself in a position where I trust all the things I practiced so much so that I can have the freedom of expression and just kind of be artistic in the moment. You know, when you watch the great athletes, um, if you're going to talk about MMA, for example, if you watch the great athletes, if you watch John Jones, you watch this kind of open adaptability where whatever's happening, he's, he's always in it. You know, he's always, he's always in it. Oh, this guy's going to wrestle him out. Oh, he can do that too, right? This guy's going to stand up and box with him. He can do that too, but he can make adjustments and he finds the little the lanes and the ways around, um, and you can see that he's just fully in the moment, right? There is no, there is no, there is no rigid and strict game plan of this has to happen. And, and when it goes off the rails, I don't know what to do. It's just him being there and 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 letting all of that practice and training express itself in the moment. And that's I think the highest level of performance. That's what we call uh, the flow state or the zone or whatever whatever the hot streak is. You know, that's mm -hmm. what we we call those things. But those come from us having faith and trust and all the stuff that we've done up to this point, believing it in a hundred percent and then just letting it happen out of the way. We're a passenger at that point. The conscious mind's out. You know, we, we measure sports and games consciously, but man, we actually play them subconsciously. There's not a, there's not an inner monologue going like in baseball going like, well, if he throws this pitch here, I'm going to be able to do this. And then, oh, it's a curveball, So I'll wait on it and then I'll hit it. No, it happens in less than four tenths of a second. So it's, it's if your body's not ready to do it and, and you don't trust your body and that's why it kind of pairs competition kind of pairs well with the week before when we when we talk about being present because when you are in in competition if you're having trouble bringing your mind back uh recognizing when you're out you know there's different techniques that you can do you can go to some basic relaxation where you're going to inhale and make a fist and exhale and release to get yourself back into the moment and and these are what we're trying to arm these guys with is this kind of perspective on life how they can how they can approach life in a way that that makes them happy um and then how they can compete in a way where they compete with freedom right and that freedom again we talk about trusting your routine it comes from discipline are you willing to put in all the extra work all the work that's that's desired of you i mean it's easy as an athlete now especially in our organization we cater whole foods to every every field um from from a ball to yeah, well there's no whole foods in the dominican republic at our academy but uh, in mesa <laughs> In Mesa, Arizona, we have multiple teams. I mean, the food is as a quality as it can possibly be. You get all the way up to Chicago and you're talking about grass-fed, grass-finished beef skewers and free-range chicken and organic vegetables and chefs making things every single day and float tanks and cold therapy. Um, and 
these these kind of open discussions about vulnerability and honesty there like it's it's we're really optimizing um all this stuff and it's easy but as a player you have to again back to the very beginning of this conversation you have to study yourself understand what makes you happy understand what you need to do and then you have to go out and do it in the present moment and you go and do that and then you can walk away from your career like i did at the end and say it's the best i could have done and that's the best place that's to me that's self-actualization is the recognition that this is the best that i could do with the given information this is this was this is me this is all me and so like when i stopped playing people like oh are you sad that you're not playing anymore i said no i'm not sad i'm not playing anymore like i i walked on in college every day that i played after high school was a bonus and every day that i played after high school lasted 16 years and and i look back on my career and i go man i couldn't have done any better than that like 192 whatever i hit my last year terrible batting average that was the best i could do like i could not have done there's nothing i would have changed looking back except for maybe i would have practiced a little bit less because i was so crazy about wanting to make sure i was okay but that to me is kind of self-actualization in sports and when you get to that place that's when i think it's much easier to access happiness fuck yeah brother we did it (laughs) you crushed it where can people follow you online uh i got um a twitter my names are all messed up i got a twitter at no own it it's so savage at man bear wolf um that uh background on that one um i went to iraq in 2010 to visit troops right baseball players had never been to um the middle east or in an active war zone we hadn't been in active war zone since korea and the marlins were like hey you need to do a twitter um, so that you can communicate with the fans. I'm like, what's Twitter? Okay. So yeah, pick a name. I'm like, well, as an enormous South Park fan, and it was kind of right after the Al Gore episode, and I <laughs> thought it was hilarious, the Man Bear Pig episode. You can't put pig. Wolves are way cooler. Um, and I got a bear and a wolf tattoo on my back uh, for my grandfather because he was Russian. You know, it's Russian mythology. And it came easy. Man Bear Wolf, my first three tattoos. And, 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 a, and, a, and a shout out to South Park and poor Al Gore. And side note, my son's name is Bear, and uh, got that from an ayahuasca vision. Our next child will be a daughter, and her name will be Wolf. I love oh, a wolf. I like yeah. female wolf. Yeah, yeah, brother. I like female wolf. And then you can also I do Instagram too, but that's not really interesting. It's at C John Learn, and that's just I take pictures of things I learn generally, uh, books or my experiences in life. I'm not as good at, as the Instagram at the Instagram as I am. Um, I like the Twitter's always been a good. Uh, medium for me because i like having conversations and i like i like dealing with people that are outraged that's one of my favorite if you want to that's you, a good place if you want to get your daily source of people being ridiculously outraged or or finding ways to be offended you can you can log on to twitter and, and it's like my reality television you know you watch reality television to uh, feel better about yourself where you are in life <laughs> I, I sometimes read twitter to feel better about how i think about life mm. Fuck yeah, great food for thought. We got a lot done. Awesome. Thank man. you for joining, brother. Thank you we'll so much you for having on. me. It's great to see you. Hell yeah. Thank you guys for listening to the On It podcast with John Baker. I know y'all love this podcast. John Baker is a savage. Uh, please give him a shout out online. We've linked to his social medias in the show notes. And uh, thanks for tuning in.